Well, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. Um, I see that some of you are on Rochester time because there was not this many people when we started. We always have to start at 1035 because if we start earlier, then there's no one there yet. So it's good to see you. I'm happy you're here. Um, I'm so excited to just be with my church family in Morinville. So as Pastor Tyler said, normally I'm in Rochester, so I'm the site pastor for the Father's House in Rochester. So I'm excited to be here with you this morning. So the other day, I was in Michael's and this late, like the craft store, for those of you who don't know what Michael's is, and I, w- I was in there and this lady walked in with her dog and I did like a triple check to see if it was like a service dog or a support dog, but it wasn't wearing a special vest, it was just a pet. And I was waiting, this lady's going to get kicked out, like she can't have her dog in here. And I'm waiting and nothing's happening and she's just, her and her dog are going through the store and I would just couldn't believe it. And then, I mean, maybe you're all right with that, but I was a little appalled. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I grew up on a farm, okay? Animals always belonged outside. That's where they stayed. They don't belong where they can possibly do their business where you want to sit or walk with socks on. So they just, they have their place and that's outside. So from my perspective, this non-support, non-service dog had no business being in the store where I had stuff to get done. And could you believe it? While I'm waiting to purchase my things, this lady and her dog's in front of me, and the dog jumps up on me. I, right up on me, its paws got on my pants, and guess what the owner did? Nothing. She didn't even notice that it happened. And so she didn't even know that she had to apologize. So I'm standing there. I'm giving my disapproving glares. I'm passing my judgment on this owner. And then I have what I call a a check your heart moment, a moment when you realize that, wow, my attitude's not really reflecting Jesus. So I need to check myself. The truth is, I was just annoyed. I mean, I wasn't being hurt in any way. Maybe my pants got a little dirty. But clearly the owner and I had different opinions as to an animal's place in society. I mean, I know I sound heartless. I need you to understand that I do love animals. I have pets. They just, they are loved. They are cared for. They are treated with dignity just outside where... They can run wild and free, do their business wherever they please, just not where I need to get things done, okay? So I I do love animals, okay? But even though me and this owner had different opinions, I still needed to love her. I had no right to get offended and glare and pass judgment on this lady. I was just annoyed that this dog jumped up on me. I didn't want to be disturbed. I I wanted to go about my business and be on my way. And that dog got in the way. (laughs) And then me trying to process what happened got in the way. (laughs) I had things to do, places to be. You know, we live in a culture where success is often defined as by how busy we are. I mean, you go up to anybody you know and you ask them how they are, and eight times out of ten, I bet you they're going to say, oh, you know, tired and busy. 
I mean, we got things to do. We don't like to, we don't have time to deal with inconveniences. It's like this unspoken rule in society where, that we live by where you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. It's like we got do not disturb, just a, a do not disturb sign on our back. And as I was reflecting on my time in Michael's, I realized that my desire and push to get things done impacted my interaction with that owner. My desire to be in a bubble so I could just get things done, um, so I could get done what I needed to get done, stopped me from loving my neighbor. That owner of that dog didn't experience the love of God for me. She just experienced someone who was offended and stuck up. It's been said that loving people the way Jesus did means living a life filled with constant interruptions. You know, if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus constantly took interruptions and he turned them into divine appointments. And you look at the women at the the woman at the well, the Zacchaeus in the tree, any person seeking healing. I mean, they were interruptions. And yet Jesus turned them into an experience of deliverance. We're probably all familiar with the conversation that happened over 2,000 years ago. A wise guy wanted to make sure that he was on the right path to following God. He was well informed in the Jewish law and knew what the greatest commandments were. But instead of receiving a pat on the back, Jesus challenged him with a new way to love. Jesus gave him a new meaning to the command, love your neighbor. A meaning that went beyond the people that he could tolerate and were easy to love. And this morning, we're going to spend some time reflecting on that kind of love that God wants us to extend to the people around us. So we've, we're, right now, we're in the Relational Toolbox series, and so far we've talked a lot about um, relationships with people we know, relationships with people within our sphere of influence, the people that we see on a day-to-day basis. But today we're going to talk about having our relationship with the people we may only encounter once. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the word this morning. So why don't you bow your heads with me. Father God, I am so grateful that it's because you sent your son, Jesus, that we get to be here in your presence this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us, and we just pray right now that you would make us aware of how you're speaking to us this morning, God. I pray that you would just give us all hearts to receive and to respond to the message that you have for us, God. And Lord, I pray that it would be just that, that it would be your message, that this, that you, I would just be your vessel, God, and that you would flow through me, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and well, and it can, can transform us. So we just pray for a greater transformation and revelation this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So why don't we turn to Ephesians 4. 32 to chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly children, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love. This scripture is telling us that in response to the love, the mercy, the grace, the patience that God has extended to us, 
we need to extend the same things to others. We shouldn't be nice to others or love others so we can become right with God. We're already right with God. We should walk in the way of love with everybody around us because even when we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. This scripture is telling us where the unconditional love that we should have for people comes from. We don't love the people around us because of anything they've done or didn't do for us. We love the people around us because of what Christ has done for us. When we didn't deserve it, he came and died for us. When we didn't deserve it, he offered us forgiveness and a new life with him. Because we've been offered that kind of love and grace, we can now offer that same kind of love and grace to others. God has shown us that love is a gift, a gift that is given without expecting anything in return, a gift given whether deserved or not. When we receive this kind of love, we've received this kind of love and now we need to give it to others. Now, a couple weeks ago, I had to go to town. That may sound funny to you because you don't go to town, you live in town. But that's what you do in Rochester. At least once a week, you have to go to town, okay? This particular week, I was going to Athabasca. Now, Athabasca is where I went to high school. It's about 30 minutes north of Rochester, so over an hour north from here. Now, while I was going about my business, I drove past a memorial spot on the side of the road, and I was reminded of a tragic accident that happened in 2015. On March 17, 2015, 12-year-old Lee Thunder died in a hit-and-run in the town I went to high school in, okay? I'll read you the report. On the evening of March 15, 2015, Lee, 12, and his older cousin, Wyatt Thunder, 20, were walking along the shoulder of Highway 55, which run, runs through the town of Athabasca. Staff Sergeant Bryant Scott of the Athabasca RCMP says it's a busy road. Not only is it the only route between downtown Athabasca and the residential neighborhood on the east side of town, it's the main road linking Athabasca to Fort McMurray. Scott says the highway is well lit with no significant history of accidents or incidents. There was no snow that night, no ice on the road. But that night, Lee was struck from behind by a 2006 Ford Freestar van. The driver didn't stop. Lee's body went flying into the ditch. Wyatt Thunder told the journal he tried to flag someone down for help with little success. One driver stopped, but on hearing that the boy was injured, the man reportedly said he didn't want to get involved and drove away. Finally, someone agreed to call 911. An ambulance came. Police arrived at about 8.30 p.m. Lee Thunder later died of his injuries at the Athabasca Healthcare Center. I think we can all agree that this is a tragic story, and uh, we wish that we had, it had a different ending. Part of me just gets angry because it took so long for someone to stop. It makes me angry that people just drove by, or that someone even stopped and then said they didn't want to get involved and then left. And yet, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and ask, would we have stopped? If, a guy, if it's getting dark, a guy's jumping up and down on the side of the highway, would I have stopped? Would you have stopped? Now, maybe drivers were too preoccupied to slow down long enough to understand what his older cousin was trying to tell them. Maybe they were late for work. Maybe they were late for a date or their kid's hockey game. Or maybe they were just, they didn't even notice him. 
When responding to why nobody stopped, Staff Sergeant Scott replied, it's dusk, you're driving along, and all of a sudden someone's jumping up and down on the side of the road waving his arms. You're probably not going to stop. That's just human nature. Remember that wise guy we talked about earlier? Jesus told him a story that's very similar to the event that I just described to you. One where Jesus challenges our human nature. We're going to read Luke 10, 25 to 37. This is Luke 10, 25 to 27. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the other man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought, to, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I understand that the story of the Good Samaritan didn't actually happen, but Jesus told the story to make a point. He tells the story in response to this expert in law, the, the wise guy, asking him how to inherit eternal life. The guy answers his own questions, but he wants to make sure he's right, so he finishes by asking, and who is my neighbor? Now this guy, he was a Jew, an ex, a lawyer to be exact, and he knew the ins and outs of Judea, Judaism. He knew all the laws. It says he was an expert. He thought he knew the answer to his own question. He's just asking Jesus to pump himself up or justify himself. Who is my neighbor? The question in itself is implying that there are some people who aren't our neighbors. This guy was trying to get out of loving some people by making them non-neighbors. And that's actually the belief he grew up with. In the laws of Judaism, there are some people that you don't have to love. If someone's a sinner, to avoid defilement, you don't have to love them. You don't have to, you can stay away from them, okay? So this guy knew that and just wanted to confirm to justify himself. He knew there were some people that he didn't have to love. But that was before Jesus. 
Jesus gives him an answer that rocks his world. A Samaritan would have been a non-neighbor, okay? And Jesus is telling this expert that he has to love the people who are even considered his non-neighbors. I want you to understand that in telling this story, Jesus was making the point that loving your neighbors means that you love even those you'd normally not have any relationship with. You see, Jews and Samaritans, they were not friends. Jews saw Samaritans as dirty half-breeds, okay? These two groups of people used to be part of the same nation, but the Samaritans had intermarried with pagan nations, okay? After King Solomon, um, Israel was split into two kingdoms. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you look at 2 Kings 17, you read about how the king of Assyria, he brought in foreign people to to settle in Samaria. And so Samaritans became Jews who who intermarried with these foreign people, okay? They betrayed staying true to the laws of Israel, okay? And um, so they saw Samaritans as unfaithful to the nation of Israel. They were traitors, they were sinners, they were half-breeds, okay? So to associate with a Samaritan meant that a Jew would become unclean. So they stayed away from each other. In this culture, it would have been absolutely unthinkable for a Samaritan to help a Jew. Now remember the, the woman at the well, okay? And she is shocked when Jesus asks her to draw her some water, okay? Um, John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's in the Bible. That's not even me adding that. That's what it says. It says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So are you getting a picture of who Samaritans were in this culture, in this context? Strict Jews even went out of their way to not even enter into Samaria, okay? When going from Judea to Galilee, passing through Samaria was the fastest way, but strict Jews, in order to avoid defilement, would cross the Jordan River twice to go around it. You can see that picture. It's the the gray line. So Jesus, he just doesn't care, and he just passes right through Samaria. That's the green line, but then the dotted gray line shows you what strict Jews did. They passed through the Jordan River not once, but twice in order to avoid Samaritans, Okay. Now, Jesus, he doesn't even clarify what nationality the man is who gets beat up and who gets robbed. I mean, he could have been a Jew. He could have been a Samaritan. We don't know. The point that Jesus makes is that the only one who even got close enough to figure that out was the Samaritan, a half-breed, a dirty sinner, the unclean one. Before the Samaritan passes by, a priest does on the other side of the road. Then a Levite comes on the other side of the road. (laughs) Think of the guy who's been left for dead. He sees the priest coming. He's like, oh, thank goodness. But the priest passes by on the other side of the road. Oh, look, another guy's coming. It's a Levite. Other side of the road. Then the Samaritan comes up. He's like, oh, great. A Samaritan. I wouldn't stop for that guy. I'm done for And the Samaritan stops. It's the Samaritan that defies what culture expects of him and helps the poor, beat-up man. 
The fact that this story is labeled as the Good Samaritan is humorous because at the time that would have been considered an oxymoron. There were no Good Samaritans. Everyone listening would have expected the priest or the Levite to be the good guy in the story, not the half-breed. The lawyer can't even fully answer Jesus' question. Do you notice how he doesn't respond with the Samaritan when Jesus asks, and who was the good neighbor? He doesn't even respond with Samaritan because he can't even bring himself to say it. He says, the guy who had mercy on him. Now, where this story takes place is actually known for its danger. It was a well-traveled road. Um, to put it in, ster- in terms that we would understand, it would be like walking down um, downtown Edmonton at night, okay? It was a dangerous road, lots of um, crime. It was scary. That's the setting of the story. And yet we have this guy who, despite risk, despite inconvenience, despite prejudices, despite how the world thinks he should act, he stops. He stops and makes sure that this hurt, broken, dying man is taken care of. Can you just picture how the lawyer, the lawyer after Jesus is done making his point? This guy who is trying to justify himself, this guy who's known all the answers all the time, who's trying to pump himself up. As soon as Jesus tells this, this story, I'm guessing he just, his jaw dropped, or he just hung his head low. You're saying I'm supposed to be a neighbor to nobody, to the people that nobody else loves? You're saying I'm supposed to be to a, a neighbor to everybody no matter what? The people who treat their animals like people? The person who's blocking the grocery store aisle so you can't get through? Or the person who cuts you off in traffic? Or the parent of the child who bullies your child? Or the person who supports your insert opposing political party here? Or the person who sends their kid to a public school? Or the person who sends their kids to a Christian school? The police officer that responded to the incident involving Lee Thunder said that it was just part of our nature that no one stopped that night. That it was totally understandable that nobody stopped. I think we need to be honest and ask ourselves, are we excusing our lack of love towards our neighbors because that's just what's expected of us? It's just how things are in our culture and our society. We're following the unspoken rule, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Do not disturb. It's just our nature. I think we need to wake up. I think we need to reevaluate how we're treating the people around us, the people who are not like us. We need to ask ourselves if what we believe is based on our comfort and our culture's tradition rather than the word of God. Because God's word leaves us with no excuse. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, let's just pause there because the word this morning said that some of you needed to hear that this, so let's just read that again. 
Therefore, as God's chosen, everybody say chosen. Chosen people, holy, say holy. Holy and dearly loved. That's you. That's who God, that's who is being addressed here. Those who are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Okay. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're no longer living for our own comfort. We're no longer living so we uh, live up to society's standards. We're living for Christ. John 15, 19 says, If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. As a church, we're not called to live in our holy bunkers. We're called to be a beacon of hope and pull people out of this dark world and into the hope and love of God. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it would have been totally understandable and even expected if that Samaritan would have just kept on walking. But he didn't. He stopped and he helped his non-neighbor, showing us all that we need to love and to be kind to everyone that everyone is our neighbor. Jesus totally contradicted what the cultural norm was in that day. Jesus is calling us to love people when no one else will, to be someone else's friend when no one else will, to listen when no one else will listen. Jesus is calling you to be that person who runs to help when everybody else is running the other way. Jesus is calling you to listen and be respectful to your parents, even when your friends or siblings aren't. Parents say amen. Right? Jesus is calling us to be that neighbor and loving to the one who drives you crazy. Maybe it's the person you avoid at work. Jesus is calling you to be a beacon of hope. Culture expects you to just follow along with the crowd, to do what everyone else is doing. Jesus is asking you to defy what's expected of you and follow him. To love and to show love to everyone. Even those you normally just ignore and pass by. If you followed the election at all this past spring, you would have heard that an ongoing concern in the province is rural crime. According to Statistics Canada, that's hard to say, the crime rate is 38% higher in rural Alberta than it is in urban areas. The police reported crime rate in rural parts of Alberta was 10,964 per 100,000 people in 2017. In urban areas of Alberta, the rate was 7,920 per 100,000. I live in a rural area. This is very much true. Um, jerry cans of gas are the number one thing stolen in Rochester, okay? You talk to people and you, everyone you talk to, you'll have some kind of story about something or they know somebody who's had something missing. Um, one morning, 
Uh, we woke up in the back of my vehicle and Clayton's work trailer door was open. Nothing was taken, and I think it's because we have a rather large dog, and I think she, she chased them off. So anyways, to combat this crime, everyone loves to throw up huge gates and fences. Now, if you want to go visit somebody, you have to call them and let them know when you're, they're at the end of their driveway so they can punch in the code or tell you the code so you can get in. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be smart and diligent with what God has blessed us with and what he's entrusted us with, so I'm not saying anything's wrong with these gates, but the signs go up. Do not disturb no trespassing or smile, you're on trail cam is my favorite one. But um, back in January, um, a couple people told me that they noticed a certain truck parked at the end of our driveway. I should just clarify, our driveway is not like you can see the end of your driveway from your house. Our driveway is like a five-minute walk that you have to walk down to get to our house, okay? So anyways, people had seen a truck parked at the end of our driveway, and so they're like, hey, I've seen this truck like five, like a couple times just sitting at the end of your driveway. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Didn't really think anything of it. We don't have a gate. Instead, we have a dog who's rather intimidating and really good at letting us know when someone's there. I mean, she's, she chases off moose, and I've seen her chase off a bear, okay? So she's, she's big. Anyways, one Sunday afternoon, somebody knocked on my door. And I looked, and I saw a truck parked outside. And I opened the door, and here was a gentleman who was clearly upset. I actually thought he ran over my dog. Um, but he had told me that he had been working up the courage for the last 45 minutes to drive all the way up to my door, and that he'd done it a couple times before, but he just lost courage, and he drove away. And he went on to explain what his family was going through, that his mother-in-law had just passed away and that his father-in-law wasn't doing well and that his wife had to go to eastern Canada to see them, and, but he had to stay home and make sure and look after things. And anyways, he just started weeping and he, just, he started asking questions about our church and uh, I told him all the information that he wanted and then I asked him if I could pray with him. And when he, when he said yes, you could tell that just like a weight lifted off of his shoulders. Like, yes, please pray with me. He just wanted some comfort. So I was able to pray with him, and I made sure that he knew that he was welcome to come to church anytime. I haven't seen him since, but I was glad that in that moment, in that time of need, I could give him a taste of God's love and comfort. And I couldn't help but think, what would happen if we would have had a gate? If it took him a couple times to even work up the courage to completely drive down my driveway, <laughs> how much would have a gate deterred him? I would have never had that encounter with him. I would have never allowed God to use me to minister to him. Now, please understand, I'm not saying we have to go all take down our gates. I'm not. I'm sure my dog has scared off some people, too. But what I'm, I'm, I'm saying is we need to check our hearts. Have you put up a metaphorical gate in front of yourself so that it's impossible for people to even approach you? Or when someone ignores your do not disturb, your no trespassing sign, or when a small dog jumps up on your leg... How do you 
react? Are you annoyed? Or do you see it as an opportunity to give someone a taste of God's love and goodness? Jesus took interruptions as an opportunity for someone to experience deliverance. Now, I love it. I love it when society does some research and they think they're on to some new cultural breakthrough, okay? When really God has been saying it all along. Um, So several years ago, University of British Columbia psychologist Elizabeth Dunn and her colleague Gillian M. Sandstorm tested whether short conversations with strangers could lift moods. They asked participants to enter a busy coffee shop and grab a beverage. Half would get in and get out, and half would strike up a conversation with each other. And you can read the results with me up there. It says, we found that people who are randomly assigned to turn this economic transaction into a quick social interaction left Starbucks in a better mood, Dunn says, and they even felt a greater sense of belonging in their community. The same research found that these seemingly trivial encounters with the minor characters in our lives, the random guy at the dog park or the barista at the local coffee shop, can affect feelings of happiness and human connection on a typical day. Would you look at that? Loving our neighbors is good for us. (laughs) Life and life abundant. Deliverance. You know, Jesus never treated people as an inconvenience. He welcomed everyone with open arms. It annoyed people how welcoming he was. (laughs) They hated that he was welcoming and loving towards the outcasts, toward women, towards sinners. They hated it. (laughs) Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Do your actions give people, or do your reactions, give people a taste of God or do they push them farther away from him? You know, the Samaritan didn't just help the man. He didn't just notice the man and feel sorry for him. Jesus went into great detail as to what he did. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought the man to an inn and took care of him. Then he took out two days' worth of wages and said, Here, take care of him, and if any other expenses come up, I'll pay you when I get back. The Samaritan delivered the beat-up man from the hopeless state he was in. And after that, he gave him even further deliverance. He didn't just make sure he was okay and walk away. No, he made it so the man could get back up on his feet and be taken care of. His love wasn't just thoughts and feelings. His love took action. We're called to bring people into deliverance, just like Christ has delivered us. We read it. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Commentator Daryl Brock says, The one major difference between the priest and the Levite on the one hand and the Samaritan on the other is not what they see and hear, 
but what they do with what they see and hear. Only the Samaritan takes pity. Only he has heart. Neighbors are people with a heart that does more than pump blood. It sees, feels, and serves. It's not enough to just be nice. There's lots of nice people in this world. The world is going to know that there's something different about us by the way we love the people around us. It can't just be thoughts and feelings. Our love needs to be shown in how we treat people and the things that we do to the people around us. I'm going to ask the band um, to come on back up. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was making the point that loving your neighbor means that you show care and compassion even to those that you normally wouldn't be in relationship with. Maybe God is putting someone on your heart right now that you have a hard time loving or someone you've been avoiding or think you're justified in treating them like a non-neighbor. Or maybe you're realizing that you need to position yourself better to love on people. I want you to understand this morning that, that our love for the people around us, it doesn't come from within our heart, own hearts, our own strength. It can't. It's not in our nature, as the world would say. Our love for our neighbors, for the people around us, it comes from the cross and the empty grave. And every time you, we love on someone who has hurt us, we love on someone who annoys us, someone who's different from us, someone we don't even know, someone who's inconveniencing us, every time we love someone like that, it's an act of faith. I am fully aware that it is going to take some supernatural power to love me in a way that shocks this world. Yeah, hey, you don't even know me. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is that we have access to that power that because Jesus Christ died and rose again we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and he can give us the power we need to accomplish any, anything more than we could even ask, think, or imagine we have access to a power outside of ourselves to love our neighbors in a way that'll shock this world, to love our neighbors in a way that gives them a taste of God's love. We don't love the people around us because of anything they've, because anything they've done or didn't do or because they deserve it. We love them because Christ first loved us. We're taking communion today. Communion reminds us what Christ has done. It reminds us of how much God loves us. That his body was broken, his blood was poured out so we could be delivered. So we could have life and life abundant. So you could be loved even more than you could imagine. And it's because of that that we can love others. Because Jesus Christ looked at you and saw that you were worth dying for, you can love the people around you. Because he looked at you even when you were unlovable and loved you with so much love that you can't even imagine. 
because of that, you can love your neighbor. Because Jesus Christ did that for you, you can do it for others. You can introduce people to that love. You can let them have a taste of the love that you have received. So let's join our hearts together and we're going to pray and we're just going to start preparing ourselves um, for communion this morning. So why don't you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming and for dying for us. And thank you for leaving that grave empty. We just ask that you would help us not to take your sacrifice for granted. We pray that you would forgive us for where we've lived life our own way instead of surrendering to you, God. We ask that you would help us to love our neighbors, that you would help us to look at the people around us the way and see them the way that you see them, God. Open up our eyes to the opportunities that you are setting before us, God. 